because I can't tell you how often great consultants leaves money on the table in the 11th hour. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to Ready for Launch. I'm your host, Ian Black. Every episode, I talk to a founder or innovator of an early stage company about how they launched their business into the world. This week, I'm talking to Sam Lee. He's the founder of Indie Collective, which is a community and learning platform where independent workers can learn to translate their specialized skills into personally fulfilling careers. We get into what it was like moving from full-time employment to consulting, why he's decided to start two businesses instead of one, how he developed his product offering through customer research, the curriculum that he covers in Indie Collective, how he grows his customers, and how he plans to scale his product offering. So enjoy the show. Sam Lee, welcome to Ready for Launch. How are you today? I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's happy to have you on the show. Very grateful to one of my previous guests, Charlotte Kramer, for helping us connect. Your website describes you as a growth leader, investor, and company builder. So why don't you elaborate a little bit more for that on us by telling our audience, what is your business called and what's unique about it? Absolutely. So, um, so again, thank you for having me today. Uh, the business that I'm building, it's actually two businesses. One is E3 Ventures. Uh, E3 Ventures is a consultancy that helps growth stage companies to do that, to grow through go-to-market strategy, sales machine, and team. Um, I'm also building Indie Collective. Uh, Indie Collective, I like to think of it as the modern MBA for modern independent workers. People like me who have left the corporate and startup swim lane and are now taking their discipline direct to clients. Uh, And while those people are typically excellent at what they do, their craft, they don't necessarily know how to build the successful business or balanced life that they so desperately crave when they go independent. So that's exactly what Indie Collective helps our members to do. So what were you doing before you started these companies? Absolutely. So uh, in terms of the arc of my career, I've, I've, like most people at this point, had a pretty nonlinear path. Um, I started my career uh, in the public policy arena. So I was working at an international organization called the World Bank after studying public policy and, and finance um, and quickly shifted gears. And, and that began the nonlinear path that I referenced. I went into finance. I was at Goldman Sachs for a couple of years, shifted again, found myself in the internet industry, doing not one, but two internet turnarounds. And then, you know, the more recent chapter was in startup land. And I found myself at WeWork um, leading their growth efforts and built a team of hundreds of people, sales, marketing, account management, um, and had the chance to help grow the company from about 200 million to four and a half billion in revenue. And I think those who followed WeWork know the story. I don't need to get into the fine grained details. You can hear the salacious ones uh, in the books, in the TV shows, in the movies. Um, but WeWork didn't work to plan, to say the very least. And when it didn't work, uh, this was back in 2019, we unfortunately had to wind the teams down. Had to lay off a bunch of people who who had, who had hired and had the great chance to work with, um, and I stepped back from the business myself. 
And when I did that, um, I found myself not wanting to go head first into the next long-term startup engagement, uh, but instead taking what I'd always done on the side, which was independent consulting, and making it my next vehicle, a vehicle that I thought would be six months to a year of trying before I buy, meeting different CEOs, working on different interesting projects. Um, to find the right next long-term thing. And I'll tell you, six months into doing that, I loved it. I loved the portfolio approach of having multiple problems that I was solving with multiple interesting clients. Um, and what's more, six months in, because I had the helping hand, I was able to achieve outcomes that I didn't think were possible. I was able to you know, more than deliver the full-time executive income that I had previously been making and do it in half the time. Um, and that additional time was time that I had never had, right? I had never, um, in the context of executive roles, been able to, to pursue the passion projects, uh, you know, do the travel, have, have, have the bandwidth. So, so all those things were super appealing. And, and when I was able to achieve those for myself, I realized this swim lane, this independent work wasn't just the right one for me, but probably could be the right one for so many people. Um, and now a third of the U.S. workforce, just looking at the U.S. context, is independent, part-time and increasingly full-time with a great resignation. Um, and so many of us who go independent ask the same questions, read, have the same challenges. Um, and that led me to launch Indie Collective, which is really this modern MBA-style program that's helping people to, to really take advantage of the playbooks the mentors and the community to help them to answer the tough questions and then to more reliably build the really great independent consulting business and the balanced life that they crave. So that's how my story led me to independent consulting. And then of course, led me to, to launch the second business Indie Collective to share what I've learned from more than a dozen mentors to get people further faster in their own independent consultancies. When you started out, as an independent, um, was that E3 Ventures or were you, you know, like just Sam Lee for a bit and then you built a company around that? How did that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I kind of, I kind of fell into the independent consulting. And as I said, it was actually while I was in full-time jobs. So as somebody who, who was at a pretty notable startup, um, I had all sorts of early stage companies coming to me with interest in advising, investing, and consulting. So E3 Ventures is something that I formed. Um, it was originally an LLC. Now it's an S Corp. Uh, but it was, it was really my vehicle to do those three things, to invest, advise, and company build um, on the side and to do it with E3 entrepreneurs, right? For me, I, if I was going to do this work on the side, it was going to be with entrepreneurs on topics that I cared about. It was around energy, uh, empowerment, and employment. Energy being health and wellness, empowerment being community building, and employment being the future of work. So, so I started doing investing, advising, and consulting while I was at WeWork. Um, and, and, you know, I always did it under that moniker of the three ventures just to keep it at arm's length. Um, but yeah, that, that's how it got started. The phrase E3 for like energy empowerment, is that something you created or is that a commonly known acronym? 
Yeah, no, that's something I created. That's something okay. I created. Okay, so you found yourself, you know, earning more money, working half the time. Is that why you felt the need to build a second business and run two? Yeah, great question. I, um, you know, for me, I've always been been, I'd say, a builder. Um, it had generally been in the context, you know, entrepreneurial roles. So in the context of companies building new products, building new teams, building even new organizations within organizations. Um, so I've always been a builder and I've always loved that zero to one, which is kind of what we're talking about in this podcast. Um, so when I saw there was a clear need, one that I frankly had, um, and one that I was able to satisfy through the right mentors and playbooks. Um, and when that need became, at least in, in what I could do in my research, prevalent, I've now spoken to more than a thousand top independents, many hundreds of whom I personally worked with. Um, when I found that so many of those people shared the same challenges, it, it was clear that there was something to build. And that got me, a builder, really interested in, in figuring out how to productize it, get it into the hands of more people uh, at affordable and scalable ways. So that's kind of what motivated the second company. You mentioned research there. Was this like just off the cuff conversations you were having with people or did you actively like plan a research program to try and figure out what was needed in the market? Mm hmm. Yeah. So I actually did a bit of both. It started as casual conversations because I was looking to to network with other independents alongside whom I could deliver my own independent work. I do my work in a collaborative format. So I typically win the business and then I build the A team, the group of people that come in alongside me, behind me to deliver. So I was networking in service of, of having a bench of talent to do independent consulting with. Um, and then beyond that, I was just frankly trying to build a tribe, a group of people that I wanted to work with. So it did start very organically. Uh, but as I heard from more and more of these top independents, people who were alums of great companies and agencies and brands, that they that they shared a lot of the same questions and problems, that that led me to to kind of dovetail into some more thorough research. Actually hired um, a researcher who I'd previously worked with. Um, you know, an alum of Frog, and and she and I did pretty extensive user research um, to really think through the ideal clients for Indie Collective, and to really deeply understand what their needs were. What did that actually look like? Yeah, so we we did about thirty user research interviews, hour and a half interviews. Um, had created a user research guide so there'd be consistency around it. We recorded every session and transcribed it, and then we nuggetized it. We really kind of teased out the salient nuggets, the consistent themes that we saw so that we could stitch together um, you know, the, the beta website, the beta curriculum, the formats, the way that we actually do the pedagogy around Indie Collective, uh, and then we did it. Right? I actually hosted the first cohort um, for free. I did it for a group of 30 people that I had met through the user research process, some of whom were friends, many of whom were not. Um, and we delivered an experience. And I teamed up with 12 of my mentors, seven and eight figure business builders who, who had been mentoring me as I was taking my practice to that next level. And we delivered a 10-week experience. And when we saw that that worked 
for those 30 people who, who shared a similar set of challenges. And when they started to achieve the kind of results that we now consistently achieve with our members, which is a four to five X return on their investment in as little as 10 weeks, that's when we saw a signal and we said, there's, there's something to really productize and scale. And, and it was at that point that we leaned into it and turned it into a business. You know, you did the research and you said that founded the basis of your curriculum for the first one. What, what were those key problems that people were having? Like, what, what did that first curriculum look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll say the first curriculum actually resembles today's curriculum. There have been minor tweaks. There have been new speakers. Um, we're constantly introducing new topics, but the foundational points of leverage the points of leverage being those areas of your business that once you make the right changes will get you a you know a 10x return on your effort. Those ones are the same. Um, so what are those? First, we always begin our 10-week indie collective experience with what we call designing for independence. And it's a it's a week-long workshop series, uh, really inspired by Bill Burnett's book, Designing, Designing Your Life. Uh, he's the you know, uh, the founder of the Stanford D school, the design school, one of the foremost thinkers in design thinking. Um, and in that week, the first week of Indie Collective, we really get to the heart of what it is that our members really want, their vision and goals around what we call the three L's. You're living, how you'll make money and impact through your independent business, but also your lifestyle and loving how you want to show up in the world and how you want to prioritize the people and the passion projects that matter most. Because I'll tell you, having personally met with more than a thousand top independents and worked with so many hundreds myself, there's yet yet to be a one that's going independent purely for money or exclusively for money at, at the expense of the other categories, the lifestyle and loving elements of life. So, so week one is kind of table setting for our members. And the data points in week one are powerful because I gather these data points, not just on the one member, but on the 150 members that are going through the program together. And with those data points, I'm able to help members through a one-to-one coaching session to prioritize the right educational modules, to, to really tap into the right expert mentors that we bring to the table, and of course, to find their right peers within that 150-person cohort so they can really team up, supercharge, and leverage off of one another as they're building their business and life. So that's kind of theme one. Is, is designing for independence. We then shift into a series of, of themes that really anchor in these points of leverage that will optimize your business. The first of those themes is productization. Productization is all about stopping the trade of time for money because that is a linear equation. It's one in, one out. And it keeps us from achieving that next level of impact and income when it comes to independent consulting. Um, so how do we do that, right? Our average member, 50% right, of members in an average cohort are typically productizing a service in their first 10 weeks. So how is that possible? We walk people through a three-step process. It starts with niching down. It's all about finding your ideal client, the client that you really want to serve in the world. Second, it's about really getting clear on your engagement format, the format that's going to drive more income and impact for every hour you work. And then third, once we're clear on your client, your engagement format, we help our members to think about their productization playbook. 
And this is not a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter thing. It's really what are the processes, who are the people, what are the platforms, what are the things that are going to help you stop this trade of time for money to get off that hamster wheel and take the repeatable aspects of your business out so that you can free your time up for more income and impact. Um, so that's the, that's the next theme, productization. And as I said, 50% of members are able to productize something, get it out into the world in 10 weeks, move fast and break stuff. Um, and then, you know, the balance typically are productizing within a year of working with us at some point in that year. The next thing that we get into is your brand. So once we're clear on who you're serving, and the engagement format through which you'll do that, we can then revisit our members' brand. Our members are typically pretty distinguished, distinctive people. So they've already you know, worked with great brands, been through the great agencies, had a great education. So they're already distinguished, but we help them at this stage to really revisit their brand and to tease out the most salient points that need to be clearly communicated across every channel, their website, their LinkedIn, um, their social so that they are not just winning the right business, but doing it on premium terms. And I'll come back to what that means, premium terms in a second. That's kind of the next theme. Um, and it's powerful because when you when you are communicating your brand, you're standing out and you're going to be winning, winning the right business. Next, we get into pricing. I like to say that nobody's dumb pricing because uh, there's no such thing, but but most people that I meet, even really high caliber people that I meet, are not value-based pricing, at least to not until they're, they're exposed to our framework. Um, so value-based pricing is, is, is very simple. In the week that we teach value-based pricing, we help each of our members get under the hood of their business. And whether they're a creative or a professional services leader, we're helping them to both qualitatively and quantitatively to express the value that they are creating their clients. Because when you can clearly communicate the value you create, and when it's above average, which is the case for our members, you're able to charge a premium rate, an above average rate. And for most of our members, that means raising their rates about 25 to 50%. So that's the next theme is pricing. After we've done your productization, your branding, your pricing, we then get into your go-to-market playbook. One thing, Ian, that I've seen far too much, far too much of in, in speaking to this thousand plus set of independents is that even qualified people tell me it still feels gig to gig at times. Like, is the next right opportunity going to come along or, or in six months will I be struggling with my pipeline? So, so through a three-week series on predictable revenue, we try, to, we try to really address that so that our members will have six months to 12 months of visibility into that great pipeline of ideal clients. On this front, we start with a week um, around relationship building at scale. And I absolutely love this week. And the, and the leader who, who leads this week, Ashley Quinto Powell, was actually my sales coach when I launched my practice. And with her support, as I said... Within six months of going independent, I was making more than I did as a full-time executive in half the time. So it's a powerful framework I've seen work on my business, just, just as I have the others. So this, this week of relationship building at scale is pretty neat. As Ashley likes to say, when you've got a really powerful network, because you've worked with great brands, agencies, and schools, when you've got that already, you shouldn't have a handful of referral partners. You should have an army of champions. And when I heard her say this from main stage at a conference five or so years ago, I was like, heck 
Yes, I want one of those too. So that's why I hired her and that's why she works with our members. So what does it mean to have an army of champions and how do you get there? In this week of programming, we start with, with really helping, helping our members to get clear on their sales storytelling. And at this point in the program, as you can probably gather, it's, it's pretty clear, but it's, it's really three things, who you are, what you offer, and the impact that you have. So we start there. We then shift into building your army of champions, what Ashley calls her list of 200. Um, and this is a powerful group of people that you're not selling to, but rather you're going to recalibrate. Because these nodes of influence in your network need to know who you are, what you offer, and the impact that you have today. Not 12 months ago, not five years ago, not when you met them in college, right? They need to know today. And then third, once you're clear on your storytelling, once you've started to recalibrate these influential people, we're going to help you to stay top of mind. And we've got a playbook with more than a dozen ways you can do that, but we help you find the most authentic ways so that you're keeping in front of these people and turning them into the gravitational pull of the right business on the right terms to you. So that's the first week of Predictable Pipeline. It's a fun one. It helps our members to kind of get more pipeline with less effort, so with more ease. Um, The second week I teach. So we've got a dozen different speakers that come in. I happen to teach one of the weeks, but Ashley teaches another and haven't mentioned the speakers for everyone, but there's a different speaker and for each of these themes that we're talking about. I happen to teach our second week um, of, of the you know, predictable revenue series. As I said, I built a couple hundred person sales team at WeWork. So commercial strategy is what I do. Um, this week is all about complementing Ashley's framework. And what we do is we go beyond your network. So once you've reactivated and recalibrated your existing network, we build past it. I help you to, with your ideal client, build lists of lookalikes. I help you to think think about how you do multi-touch campaigns over LinkedIn and email to get in front of these people. I'll even help you to find somebody to do this work on your behalf because I have somebody that does this work on my behalf so that I'm not you know, doing the list building, doing the outreach, doing the qualification, but rather having the sales conversations, which are a great use of my time, and at this point are something I enjoy. So that's kind of the next week. It's all about really building past your existing audience so that you've got an even more robust pipeline. And then the third week of sales is all about shifting from client attraction to closing great business. And this is where we have a speaker come in and she's helping us to have winning sales conversations and to send proposals that will help you close business on value-based terms. Because I can't tell you how often great consultants leave money on the table in the 11th hour. They get negotiated out of it in that proposal process. So that's kind of our predictable revenue series. And then we close out the program with two more themes. The final two themes are all about streamlining your business. We help our average member to save eight hours a week, to save a day a week through better process, systems, and people. And then lastly, we round out the whole program with psychology. Um, and I like to I like to think of Indie Collective, the whole thing, the whole 10 weeks is kind of a psychology boot camp. Um, and when I say it's a psychology boot camp, it's because we're bringing together 150 or so people in a cohort. And when you're in a breakout session, when you're in a one-on-one, um, and you're really getting into the nooks and crannies of your business, what you realize is that your challenges, your hangups, They're not yours alone. They're shared by just about everybody else in the cohort. And the cool part is that we're equipping you with the frameworks. We're giving you the peers and accountability. 
and you start making progress. So that's very affirming. Um, but you know, about a year ago, when Dr. Donna Marino graduated from Indy Collective, um, she's a PhD psychologist, author, and, and executive coach. When she graduated, she said, Sam, we need to introduce a final theme, a final week, and it's about bulletproofing your psychology. Uh, because even with all the tools and all the accountability, people still frequently have a limiting belief, something that is really deep-seated. It might be around money might be around time. It might be around their potential in general. But but when you have those beliefs, they can really keep you from getting to your next level of success and fulfillment. So in this final week of Indie Collective, Donna comes in and she uses the same you know scientifically proven techniques on our members as she uses on her clients, CBT, NLP, things that help you to really get to the root of some of these limiting beliefs and tackle them once and for all. So that's a little bit about how we approach Indie Collective, the pedagogy, what we teach, and how we teach it. It sounds really in-depth and covering a lot of bases. You mentioned one of those um, characters in there was like your coach previously. How did you, once you had an idea of what the curriculum should be, you know, at a high level, those themes... How did you go about actually like building each week and assigning coaches? You know, do the coaches create a lot of the content? Did you create the content and find people to teach it? How does how did that all come together for your like first yeah. round? Sure. So so like I said, it was definitely a team effort. And the reason that I left, um, the, the reason that I didn't charge anything for the first cohort of 30 participants is because I really wanted to co-create this thing. Um, that meant co-creating it with a dozen experts, people who have frequently already built a million dollar business. Um, and it meant co-creating it with 30 really distinguished independent practitioners who were going to go through it and, and really give active feedback on the pedagogy, on the curriculum, and help us to improve it. So that's that's why I, I felt very... Um, I, I had no intention of taking anybody's money the first time because I wanted to see if it worked. Um, so we, so we co-created it from the get-go. Um, we do have some new speakers, additional speakers, as I mentioned, Donna, as example, who does psychology, she wasn't in that cohort. She joined us later on and only after graduating and getting to know each other and, and going through the full experience herself, did she say, huh, I think we could introduce a new one. Right. So we've introduced new stuff along the way. Um, but whether it's the original topics or you know this full slate that we now teach, it's always been a co-creative process. Um, and when it comes to the the education, the way we deliver it is in three parts. Each of these themes has pre-work so that members are primed from wherever they are. Um, each has an hour and a half to two hour interactive session with the expert, um, so they're really operationalizing that stuff with with the individuals that are in the program. And then the very next day through our app and desktop site, we send the replay, the deck, and a couple of key next steps, key things we think members should be doing the very week they learn it so they can shift into action. So those, those three things, the pre-work, the live session, and the follow-up are things that I co-create with each of these speakers, and then make sure to thread together. So that as you can see, the week after week momentum builds with with continuity across the program. 
Very cool. You mentioned earlier on that, you know, it's the modern MBA for the modern independent worker. And I wondered, do you think there's something you, you haven't had an, you haven't done an MBA, right? First question. Um, and did you think there was something lacking from traditional MBAs that, you know, you had to create a modern one? Mm-hmm. Great, great questions. So, so yeah, no, I've actually not done a business degree. I stepped into business um, after studying public policy at UPenn and Harvard. So I did advanced degrees in a totally different arena. Um, and I think like quite a few people in business and that are doing business in companies or startups came to it kind of through experience as opposed to um, study. So that was my experience in business. And, and, you know, when I was in these companies, I ended up running teams of hundreds of people, hundreds of millions, and then billion in PL. Um, so really kind of studied business from, from like the school of, of doing it as opposed to learning it in a classroom. Um, you know, when it came to developing a modern MBA, I actually borrowed that phraseology from one of our alumni. So Tom Balamesi is a marketer by training. He, like I, worked at some cool tech companies, startups, and mature. And when he went full-time independent, he said that in spite of having an MBA, so he's a graduate of Wharton Business School. So he's he's done his master's level business study at a great business school. He said, in spite of that, I found pretty quickly that I needed more of three things to get to my next level of success and fulfillment because he really wanted to build a million dollar practice and he wanted to do it while balancing it with life. So that's a pretty, pretty great outcome. He said, in order to get there, I needed more of three things. I needed the right education, stuff that was tailor-made to this swim lane. I needed the supportive peer group, a group of peers who I could be doing business and life alongside. And lastly, he said, I wanted mentors, people who had already built seven and eight figure businesses who could share their playbooks so I wasn't leaving my success and fulfillment to trial and error because trial and error is, is no way to approach this stage of your career if you're really good at what you do. So he said Indie Collective was that. It was those three things. And, and I see this as the modern MBA. So I borrow that phraseology of the modern MBA from the modern independent to Tom. You know, I, I attribute it to him and, and he really kind of made that quote. And I've now had quite a few quite a few alumni of our program who, who are actually already graduates of great MBA programs, Stanford, Harvard, Wharton, Columbia, um, and other advanced degree programs, though that's certainly not a requirement to be a member. Um, I found that a lot of people who have these degrees find that when they go independent, um, while the study was powerful at the stage when they did it, it doesn't necessarily translate into building the independent practice or the balanced life that they crave at this stage. We've spoken a lot about like the independent. And do you think, does that mean the people coming on your course are not aspiring to build, you know, large companies with lots of employees? Like it's really around being like a small focus, one person who teams not maybe with others. Is that like the focus of the people on your course? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. So, so I would say, you know, my, my definition of independent is the following. Um, an independent is somebody who is building a consultancy, a collective, 
an agency that is doing their craft either by themselves or in a team-based format, but they're not doing it in the context of a brand or a large established agency, right? So that's now 33% just in the US of the workforce that is independent. So it's a whole lot of people. Um, I'd say what what differs between my, my, my definition and, and kind of what you just described is that while we have plenty of folks who, who do want to be solo consultants or solopreneurs, put differently, we also have people who are building collectives or who are building agencies because um, they want to do their work in a team-based format. So that, that to me is still independent. It's just doing independence um, in community alongside a tribe. Uh, and, and while it's, again, not, not the typical member, I've seen quite a few members go on from doing this solo consulting or collective or agency building to go on to launch technology companies because they do a lot of the deep work with really interesting clients. And then they see patterns, right? Patterns of problem that need pain killer solutions that they can then build for. And they'll go ahead and, and, you know, then try to pursue some technology or at the very least a productized service to help them achieve more impact, um, you know, with, with less of the human touch. So I think that that's certainly a pathway too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And once you'd, you know, tested out your first draft of this, you know, you'd got 30 people through, you'd seen some success, you decided you wanted to keep going with it. How did you, like, where did you find your next set of customers and, and has, how has that changed as you've continued to grow the Indie Collective? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say the first line of offense, I think, in any great business is is referrals and word of mouth. So we definitely started there. I handpicked, you know, off the back of user research, those first 30 people, um, and they were all really awesome humans who had given great feedback and also achieved great results. So they were eager to, to make introductions, and that led to the next cohort. Um, and has subsequently led to the next and the next and the next, right? So member referrals still represent about 65, 70% of members. So that that's a pretty cool stat that I'd love to live in because it means that we're consistently doing a good job for our members, helping them to get the leg up and, and staying in touch because they still see relevance in coming back. Our average member um, is with us for more than a year because they see value in coming back to the watering hole to continue to tap into the playbooks, to continue to work with the experts and to find the camaraderie and also the business development that's possible when you do independence in a community. So say member referrals are, are, are bread and butter. Um, but as we've grown, we've, we've looked to, to test partnerships um, as well as to do outreach, right? Use the same playbooks that we teach um, what we've not done thus far is paid advertising. Uh, we've we've just not seen the need. And also, frankly, ours is a considered price point. While it's not astronomically expensive to do Indie Collective, it is a considered purchase. And that's not, not typically the type of purchase that paid advertising works well with. So ours is, is very much a referral-based business with some partnerships um, and and, you know, we're trying to make more resources available to people for free. We've got a podcast um, that we release an episode on a week. That podcast is really about inspiring, equipping, equipping and empowering people with the playbooks that we teach 
in bite-sized formats and with the stories that we share, those of our members um, and also experts to, to really get them further faster. So we've got a podcast, we've got free programming, we've got things that we're making available more broadly because we want to get, well, we can't, we can't help everybody. Um, we do want to help more people than can afford our program to get into it. Yeah. So you, you have this podcast, what made you decide to build that into the business was, is that part of your like go to market strategy too? Yeah, I would say it's, um, it's, it's a couple of reasons. First, um, if you look at great education businesses, um, and you know, take, take Marie Forleo, she's an entrepreneur, um, in the education space who's built a really meaningful business uh, to help primarily women entrepreneurs to launch their businesses. Um, if you look at what Marie has done over the last decade um, and where she is today, probably about 90% of her content lives out in the ether and it's accessible free of charge. Um, she's got you know, a TV show. She's got a blog. She's got a podcast. Um, she's publishing a ton of really great content um, with other experts and making it available to people um, so that so that she is able to have a much broader reach than what's possible through her paid programs. So I think that's that's one motivation is impact. And it certainly is it's that for me. So I think I wouldn't wouldn't be doing this business if I didn't think it was contributing meaningfully to the people that we work with closely, but also a broader audience. So I think that that's kind of motivation one has been for Marie, and she talks about that pretty broadly, and it definitely has been for me. I'd say the second, is that people want to do business with those that they know, like, and trust. And if you're just reaching out to people at a moment of purchase or at a moment of decision, they haven't really had the opportunity to get to know, like, and trust you. Um, so having a lot of free content out in the world, setting up thoughtful funnels that, that get people into a longer-term conversation with you and your company and the content that you're offering, um, introducing members who are referring people, um, all of those touch points create the opportunity to get into that knowing, liking, and trusting relationship. And, and when you get to that place, when the time comes for somebody to join a cohort, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? They already have been exposed to the value that you create, probably through a free workshop, through the podcast. Um, they've heard directly from potentially a member who said, this has changed the face of my business. I've doubled my income. I'm doing it in eight hours fewer a week. Um, and then they're, you know, excited to get on the phone, learn about the program and, and join. So, yeah, I think it definitely, it starts with impact, but then sure, it definitely, it definitely kind of plays into what is a very powerful go-to-market playbook. Will you be expanding like the types of content you put out into the world as you grow too? Yeah, well, we're, we're definitely going to stay focused on the independent worker. And I think reason being that there's just too little high quality content um, and community for this audience. And it's too big a share of the market, right? 33% of the US workforce. So we will stay focused on this ideal client. Um, and, and we will be, you know, putting out more content, as you say, we're, we're going to be continuing to deepen the paid programs that we offer. Um, we've got a cohort based experience right now, which is, which is really neat. It's a 10 week program. The same one we've talked about, we're introducing more targeted programs. Can't, can't 
kind of share exactly what those are yet, but those will be coming out over the course of this year. Um, and then as I've shared, we're going to be continuing to expand the free offerings that we have, the free podcast, the free programs, so that people who who are maybe not quite yet ready to buy or maybe can't afford to buy yet are able to access some of these resources and get further faster too. So at, at the moment, is it right? Most of your sections of your course are like taught by one or two specific people. And if that's right, like what, how do you plan to scale that? Like if you start getting more requests for people, then these people have time to teach. Will you have to like build up an even bigger network of teachers and coaches? Yeah. So, um, so we'll continue to run this cohort based program and it, it is kind of the flagship today. It will remain the flagship of tomorrow. Um, it's, it's a more intensive experience that combines live education with a community of practitioners in which you can be accountable and do the business. So that's kind of the flagship experience, but to reach more people, because you can only have so many people in a cohort and keep it intimate and keep it really, really effective. Right. So, so there are limits to that. And I know that because I've personally been in a variety of cohort based programs, I've seen them work well and I've seen them work less well. So given that there are limits to that, we are introducing other formats that will allow us to reach more people at scale. You know, one of those is an on-demand format. And there's there's tons of that education out there, not necessarily geared toward this independent worker audience, but when I say on-demand, I mean stuff that's been pre-recorded with great supporting worksheets and direction, but that doesn't need to be consumed synchronously at the same time um, or, you know, in the same pace. You can do it on your own time um, and and probably do it more affordably, right? Because if you're doing it, recording it once and then keeping it out there evergreen for the world, you can afford to offer at a lower price point, which is very appealing to me because again, I want to reach more people and make sure we're having a greater impact. Yeah. And how do you personally make those business decisions around like what the next thing you're going to offer is? And like, cause there's so many different you know avenues you could take to grow this. Um, but how do you decide what's the most important next step for you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's definitely started with doing research on the market, not necessarily this market for independence, but looking at how other education businesses have grown. So I've studied the Marie Forleo's and others that have certainly come before me and, and done this in small and then very meaningful, meaty ways. So the people that I've tried to study and some of whom I've interviewed have, have walked the path and they're 10 years in versus two years in like myself. So that's one. I've tried to kind of identify what have been some of the next steps that these people have taken in order to continue scaling impact. So that's one. I'd say the second would be just aligning the vision with resources to help because there's only so much one person can do and I'm not one person at this point. So by way of example, um, I was very fortunate to align vision with resource when one of our alumni, Jan Almasy, who graduated from our spring cohort a year ago, so met him about a year ago now, when he graduated, he said, Sam, we need to do a podcast. And I said, Jan, I am over my skis. Like I am doing so much already. Um, I don't know the first thing about a podcast. And he said, don't worry, 
I've built a 60,000 person podcast. It's called the Apex Podcast. Um, and, you know, he 5 x his business and, and was hiring people and was seeing his results. He said, I'd love to build that with you. So it's great to have a vision. It's much more important to have vision and resource to execute on it. So thankfully, when, when he presented the idea, which was on the roadmap, but it wasn't the top priority because I just didn't have the resource, he was able to step in and, and really has ushered that through. So now we're 15 or 20 episodes deep in the podcast. We've interviewed all sorts of, you know, seven and eight figure practitioners who are sharing their superpowers more broadly, as well as so many of our members who are, who are kind of sharing how these points of leverage are unlocking their businesses and lives. Um, so, so that's, that's, I'd say the two part playbook, it's doing the research and knowing, you know, with some level of confidence, what the right next steps are, this kind of strategy, but then also aligning, aligning the resources. And if, if you'd like to do the next thing, but you just don't have the resource, it might, for me, I, I kind of reconsider and, and sometimes reprioritize. Mm. Do you have any top tips for me on how I can grow my podcast? So, you know, one thing that Jan and I were talking about just this week, um, and he sent, he sent me a list. He's like, here are the podcasts you need to be reaching out to and speaking with. Um, so doing exactly what we're doing here, namely getting on to other podcasts that are complementary, that, that probably share audience where you can share learnings and, and potentially organically grow. Um, that, that's a, a top strategy that he shared, um, and that really helped him to quickly catapult from you know a podcast that started out of Canton, Ohio, not a big town in Ohio, to a nationwide and I think international following. So that was his top tip. Um, and then it also comes down, I think, to the quality of your speakers and their savvy around promoting what it is that they're doing. So we try to, with our speakers, tee up for them at least a week in advance a kit that supports their promotion of their episode. So we create, you know, sound bites and video that we, that we both share through our social channels that we offer them to share um, and, and try to arm them with resources so that they can, you know, they can share the content that they enjoyed recording. So, so those are two tips that we're focusing on. Great. I'll have a think about those. Have there been any, big waste of time or money for you in terms of growing Indie Collective? I'd say there hasn't been a big waste of time or money. I mean, I was right off the back of when I, when I went independent as a consultant and then built Indie Collective, I was on the, off the back of a startup experience, right? And I'd say in startup land, we work, you know, was, was notorious for it, but but you know, I think it's pretty typical of many startups that that money is spent, um, you know, kind of at the drop of a hat. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad strategy, but it's not a strategy that generates profit terribly quickly, right? And when I say it's draw, it's it's spent at the drop of a hat. What I mean is that people are willing to test really quickly, test really often, which are good things to do, but are willing to put a lot of money toward things before, before they turn off the spigot and move on to the next. So it means that you can overspend on channels, overspend on projects, overspend on hiring, 
um, because you've got venture capital that that just desperately wants to find their 10x return and is prepared to have, you know, seven, eight, or nine out of 10 of their portfolio companies fail to get the one Uber, the one Airbnb, the one Facebook, really successful one. So I think within that context, there is a tendency to overspend, to go down rabbit holes um, in in kind of service of, of getting the the 10x results, which only happens one out of 10 times. Um, when it comes to building an independent practice, you really can't afford to do that, right? This is not venture money. This is your money. Um, or, you know, if you're trying to grow something, perhaps you're, you're raising a little bit of friends and family. So I've been, you know, having had the venture experience and having led big growth, I've now been, you know, taking a different perspective to this business. And it's been a nice kind of yin to the yang, quite frankly, having to spend my own money, having to bootstrap something, um, and, and really having frankly, every single dial in my control, more or less, right. I'm, I'm working with some great partners and, and certainly, you know, bringing in more than a dozen experts that teach, but ultimately I'm kind of at the helm and, and it's been a fun experience to see, that I've been able to to grow this profitably with with the kind of impact that I want to achieve. Yeah, I, my last week's guest was saying the most valuable thing she experienced with her startup was trying to run it for 18 months on only $10,000 because that was her first grant. So definitely hear you on wow. that. <laughs> Learning to do with little is a good thing to learn. Are there any like skills that you've felt you had to develop for Indie Collective that were different from, you know, having run E3 Ventures for a while? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I would say, you know, E3 Ventures was probably the harder, like doing the in actual independent work and figuring out how to set up my practice, the stuff that we help, that we help people do through Indie Collective that was the hard stuff. Um, and the reason it was the hard stuff is because it wasn't something that had been taught and it wasn't something that I'd had to previously do. So, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, fairly seasoned practitioner and whatever it is that you do, sales, marketing, coaching, whatever that thing is, you don't necessarily need to learn how to build the business. And you certainly don't need to, to, to understand the, the nooks and crannies of what all the people around you in the context of your company agency do, right? You just need to know your thing. Um, so going independent, I think that's the alarming part. It's like, oh, wait, shoot, to, to make everything work, I actually need to learn a whole bunch of other things or find the right partners to help complement me. So I'd say doing E3 Ventures when I did it, that was a very steep learning curve. As I've been building Indie Collective, um, I'd say it's been less a steep learning curve because it was really taking what I had been taught, taking the network that I had developed and translating it into a product um, and then building the go to market to get it in, to get it into people's hands and building products and doing go to market. That's kind of what I do. That's what I do professionally. That's what I've done at companies. So I'd say E3 Ventures, that was the hard stuff. That's kind of what we productize now and, and building the company, the Indie Collective is kind of what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. I love that all the things you, that your company teaches 
is the process you went through to create the company, like productizing your service and figuring out how to go to market. Like it's very meta. Yeah, you know what? I think I've, I've most of the great founders. So I had the chance at WeWork to to visit some 35, 40 cities and 20 countries a year. And I met with so many of our amazing members, many of whom were founders. Some were small startups, some were large companies uh, that had grown from small, small things and small beginnings. But I'd say that was the frequent common thread, namely that people who started great companies and who were still at the helm of them years later, frequently started with experiencing the pain point themselves. Um, and continued to kind of stay close to that pain point, even if they were now building organizations. So um, we're still in the early days at Indie Collective, but everything we're trying to solve for are things that I personally experienced and, and certainly have heard repeated time and time again in all the conversations I continue to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what does success look like for the future of Indie Collective? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was putting pen to paper earlier this year um, off the back of a year on retreat that I do in December every year. And I'd love in a few years not to be serving hundreds of people deeply, but hopefully thousands and and not reaching, you know, 10,000 people through free programming, but hundred or hundreds of thousands, right? So I'd really, I'd like to see us 10xing our impact, the deep impact we can have through our you know, full programs, as well as just reaching more people so that we're inspiring, equipping, and empowering a larger audience, people that maybe don't have the time or don't have the money or, or are inspired to learn more about what this independent thing might look like for them because they've seen a friend quit and pursue it, or they've read about the great resignation, but but they need a little bit of, of like a peek in the box. So I'd love to 10X our impact on both fronts in the next couple of years. What do you think might stand in the way of that? What are you, what are you most concerned about? Um, what am I most concerned about? I think at the end of the day, uh, there's definitely a market for this and it's a big market. So those 10x numbers are just a teeny little sliver of it. Um, so I'm not I'm not super concerned about competitors. I'm not super concerned about the market. Um, I'd say it just comes down to continuing as we scale to deliver an outstanding experience. So we have a very high NPS today. Members refer, as I said, the vast majority of our members come to referral. So my my number one priority is to just remain you know, laser focused on that member experience. I want to see our members, you know, getting that four to five X return in 10 weeks. I want to see them doubling their business in a year. Um, I want to see them achieving that balanced lifestyle that they so crave. So if we continue to do that and, you know, this market continues to grow like, like it is year over year, I think it will be quite, quite easy to get to those 10 X numbers. Um, but I think the, the biggest mistake any company can make is growing for the sake of growing and, and losing sight of, of making the customer experience the, the number one priority. Cool. It's about time to wrap this conversation up. So I'm going to ask you what I ask all my guests at the end of the show, which is what's something unique you think you'd have never learned 
if you hadn't started Indie Collective? Mm. Well, this is my first time founding a company myself. I had always been an entrepreneur at companies, at big companies, at turnarounds, startups. Um, so I think being an entrepreneur, being somebody who's going from zero to one, it's something you can read about. You can certainly podcast in, but until you've done it, you don't really know it. Um, and I think I was prepared to do this in large part because I had had experience at entrepreneurship, right? In the context of companies, I'd had experience personally in launching an independent practice and, and going through the challenges and, and kind of gathering the resources to make it a success. Um, but I'd say mostly I was prepared because I had a growth mindset. Um, and I actually enjoy the process of, of being challenged and having to learn and, and having to kind of find the right next set of resources to help me get from A to B. Um, so I'd say that's the number one thing I'd encourage people. Um, one, I'm a big fan now having done it of, of building something from zero to one. So I would, I would give it a go. Um, so that, that, that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing is to, to keep an open mind and to try to embody that growth mindset. It's one thing to say it, it's another to do it, but that just means for me really enjoying the process of building, finding the enjoyment in the problem solving, um, you know, probably knowing some of the right next steps and some of the right next people to help you, but also letting the universe correlate the details. Cause I can't tell you the number of amazing people that I've met through this process Charlotte Kramer, who introduced us, being one of them, who have helped me to connect the dots and get from A to B. Fantastic. Sam, where can people go to find out more about either you or your of E3 or Indie Collective? Absolutely. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn at Sam Lee. You can find Indie Collective at Indie Collective, I-N-D-E Collective dot C-O. Um, and if you'd like to tap into some of those free resources that I referenced, check us out on any number of social channel channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or check out our podcast, The Modern Independent. You can find us on any, any kind of platform where you listen to your podcast. And there, as I said, we share a new episode a week where we interview a seven or eight figure independent business builder and spotlight their playbook so that you can hopefully get further faster and also interview amazing indie collective alumni, people who have rolled up their sleeves, who have used our playbooks and who are achieving pretty remarkable things in their businesses and lives. Awesome. Sam, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm going to check out your podcast after this. Awesome, Ian. So thank you, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, Ian here. If you're looking for a way to support the show, why not share this episode with a friend who you think will enjoy it? That's all.